Thanks. She about gave away my punchline with the tape. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How you guys doing this morning? Okay, so three people are alive in here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, firstly, thank you, Phil, for such an awesome message last week, and I've got to follow that, so cool. Um, <coughs> last month, I was working downtown Peoria, and I was installing this antenna on the backside of a building down on Jefferson Street. And this particular part of town was not an area that you would want to probably buy a house in, um, albeit if you did buy one there, it would have been very inexpensive. Uh, probably not the area of town that you'd want to raise your family in. Well, the first day that we're on the job site, I'm inside and, <coughs> excuse me, I'm looking around the building, I'm trying to figure out where we're going to pull this cable, and I find this door on the back side of the building, and so I open the door, and, and right when I open the door, there's a man standing on the other side of it, and uh, he's like leaning up against the building, he's got a bottle of booze in his hand, and he reeks of alcohol, and I'm like totally shocked to see him, and I don't know if he was more surprised to see me, or if I was more surprised to see him, but we both kind of like exchange shocked looks at each other and I was like oh okay have a good day and I closed the door and locked it behind him and moments later heard the doorknob jiggling and I'm like with one of my coworkers, I'm like dude there's a guy trying to break in the back door and he's drunk so uh, that's that's just to kind of tell you where where we're at and the kind of neighborhood we're in so uh, a little bit later uh, probably the next day or so we're at the same place and uh, it was pretty nice outside, so we have the garage door open on the building, and our vehicle's backed up to it, and we're working up on the roof, and we're working inside, so we're going back and forth, and, and I'm inside with the garage door open, I see this man approach the building, and I'm working with one of my coworkers, and we're just thinking, oh my gosh, that guy's going to come up to us, we know it, and sure enough, the guy walks up to the building, and he, he steps inside the garage door and starts looking around, he's like, so this used to be like an insurance place, right, which it did not <laughs> used to be, and it's not currently, and it nothing to do with insurance, so He's kind of looking around and we're like, yeah, no, it's not insurance. And he's like, oh, it's a pretty nice garage. Not a nice garage at all. And uh, so we're like, okay, well, we got to get back to work. Oh, okay. Just kind of stands there and stares at us. And uh, I'm like, well, I got I to shut the garage door now. And he's like, all right. <laughs> and he steps on into the garage. And I'm like, no, no, this isn't going to work. I'm going to need you to step out. Uh, oh, Okay. I'm like, well, luckily it's nice out. He's like, yeah, it's real nice out. And it's, it's kind of warm, but he had a jacket on. I'm like, I don't know what you're wearing that for. It's like 80 degrees out. It's nice out. But anyway, so, so that was uh, experience number two. And then uh, another day yet again, another beautiful day working at this place in Peoria. We're outside, and uh, I'm inside on the phone with tech support going over some issues we're having. <laughs> and I hear this guy come up and say, hey, I have something, something about a pill bottle. And I'm like, what? And I'm on the phone, I'm like, Mike, go deal with this guy. So I send our apprentice out to deal with him, and I walk into the building, and I'm talking tech support on the phone. And a few minutes later, I get off the phone, and I go out, and I'm like, Mike, what was going on with that guy? I heard something about pills. He's like, yeah. He came up, and Mike proceeds to explain to me this guy's story, and it is fantastic. So uh, he comes up, and he's like, well, I'm looking for this pill bottle um, on the roof of this building. Have you guys seen a pill bottle on the roof? And I'm like, what? And I'm like, Mike, are you kidding? He's like, no, seriously, this is what the guy said. So, so the guy sees our ladder because we're working up on the backside of this building, and he asks if we found a pill bottle on the roof. And I'm like, what is this? I have no idea what this guy's talking about. There's no pill bottles on the roof. I've been up there all day. And he 
he comes back a few minutes later, and interestingly enough, he found a pill bottle on the floor, on the ground by the ladder, and he picks it up and takes it and walks away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's there's drugs around, and this guy just took some. We, we somehow probably helped in that. It's probably we should be in jail. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I'm up on the roof not 10 minutes later, and I kid you not, I'm walking back to the ladder, and I look down, and there is a full pill bottle on the roof. And I'm just like, what in the world? So this guy tells us that he wants this pill bottle, not for himself, of course, because he doesn't want to abuse the, the drugs that are in the pill bottle. There was a crime committed at this location a few nights prior, and the perp took the pill bottle and threw it up on the roof. So this guy was, of course, trying to get fingerprints off the pill bottle to get to the police to help find the guy who did this crime. So I'm like, this guy's got a great heart. <laughs> He's trying, and so I see it, and I, of course, don't touch it because I don't want my fingerprints on it. I don't want to get cross-contaminated evidence, so I kind of rolled over and look at the name, and it's a woman's name, which corroborated with the guy's story. So I'm like, man, here I was, assuming this guy wanted these drugs for himself, and no, he wanted justice. <laughs> this guy was seeking justice, so more power to him. So we laugh about the ridiculousness of the situation, and uh, I just wanted to tell you these stories because I wanted to give you an idea of the type of uh, area I was working in, the area in Peoria that I was in, and it it wasn't the best of neighborhoods, to say the least, because this, these stories happened over and over again. There was three or four of them in a row that happened in, in the week that we were there. And it's like, what in the world? So uh, we're currently in a series called Jesus Outside the Lines. And the series is based off a book um, by pastor and author Scott Sauls. It's this book. The logo has probably been up on the screen throughout the day. And uh, the book is about a lot of issues in Christianity in our world today and how we like to make things black and white and we like to draw lines and say we're on this side and you're on this side. And, and, and sometimes that's necessary, but other times it's not. And this, this book, uh, it talks about that and it talks about us, us stepping outside of our comfort zones. And I, I tell you the story of those those people in that neighborhood is in because that was something that was outside of my comfort zone. I, I didn't feel very comfortable there and I can't imagine too many of us would have, but sometimes that's where the job takes us, so that's where I was at. So let's take a look at what Jesus did when he was in a situation, a, a situation that brought him outside of perhaps his comfort zone. If we were in his shoes, we might not have been as comfortable as he seemed to be. Um, and, and in this story, there's three things that I think the enemy tries to use uh, to keep us inside our comfort zones and to keep us from stepping out to what God has for us. So if you're a type A personality and uh, you're taking notes, uh, these three points are just for you so you can write down. It's a really clean cut, one, two, three, and you guys can write them down and, and it looks great on your notepad and you can Instagram pictures of it later and all that stuff. If you're not type A uh, and you have something to write with, take notes anyway because this took a long time to write. Um, <laughs> so. And, and you probably won't remember if you don't write it down. And I know that because I wrote it and I probably won't remember it after like next week. So if I wrote it and I forgot it, you guys might forget it too. So notes, anybody? Yes. Good. Okay, cool. Someone had their phone. Cool. Good. So uh, John chapter four, verse one. There's a lot of scripture today, so um, it's going to be fun. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing more disciples, but his disciples who were doing that. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So let's take a brief pause as we're talking about being outside the lines. Um, 
this is the first point that I wanted to see what Jesus did, and, and don't get excited, this isn't the first thing you're gonna write down. We're not, we're not quite there yet. I mean, you can write this down, but this isn't the, the three points I was telling you about. So uh, the passage said Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, geologically, yes, it did make sense for him to walk through Samaria to make it to Galilee. However, at that time, many of the Jews would have chosen to walk around Samaria instead of going through Samaria, despite what may have been easier, they would have gone around Samaria to not have to deal with these people. But Jesus chose to go through Samaria, despite what, have been, what could have been more comfortable for him. So verse seven picks up, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? At this point, the disciples had gone into town to buy food, so it's just Jesus and this woman. And a Samaritan woman, <clears throat> She says back to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For at this point, Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this brings us to the first point I wanna use. And I've gotta give credit to these three points to Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church because as I was studying and trying to find something to help you remember this, uh, I ran into a sermon that he preached on something similar and uh, these three points he came up with and I think they're brilliant and I think they're true and I think that if you take these and you use them in your life, it can change how you react to your comfort zones and other people. So point number one is race. And if you're writing down, race is the first word that you can write down in your notes. Many times we are outside of our comfort zones because of race. Now, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. So here's an example of a problem we may perceive or an issue that we may have when it comes to our comfort zones. We see race and we think it's a problem, but I don't think it should be because race isn't a real thing. This is a man-made issue, it's not a real problem. You know, the Word of God tells us that all men are created in the image of God. And Genesis 1.27 tells us, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It says it three times in one verse that God created mankind in his own image. So the argument that race, or this woman saying that, that they are not of the same ethnic background or the same area of the world, Jesus just kind of dismisses it. And it means that to God there's no black and white or any other race, there's just souls. And Jesus sees this. He doesn't see this woman for who she is from the outside. He sees her soul. And for Christ followers, we're called to live our lives by the example that Jesus led for us. So in this situation, we can see that Jesus saw her for who she was and that was a lost soul. So that's what we're called to see people as. So race is the first point. So let's continue, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? So point number two this woman brings up when Jesus is talking to her is reason. In this situation, Jesus, in the situation with Jesus, this lady tries to argue with him using reason. She sees this logical argument and says, well, the well's deep and you don't have anything to draw with, so how are you going to get water? And and I think that a lot of times with us, when we're, we're trying to stay inside our comfort zones, it's because we're scared of reason. We think if we want to go tell someone about Jesus or share the gospel with someone, that we're fearful that they might have more reason than us and they might be loaded with more facts. And we think if we're not equipped with the facts and we have all the answers to their reasonable arguments that we cannot share with them. And here's the thing we can learn from Jesus. The woman brings up that logical argument 
and he doesn't even acknowledge the woman's argument. He goes on to, to talk about life and what he has to offer. He didn't argue with the woman because it knew, he knew that in that instance it wouldn't bear any fruit. Titus 3.9 says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Jesus knew this. He knew that arguing with this woman about her views and about reason wouldn't have bared any fruit. So this applies to Jesus in this situation, and he handled it so well, and it also applies to believers. I know a man who claims to be a believer, and I, I don't question that, but he always wants to argue scriptural doctrine. He looks for these opportunities that if you say something, he's like, oh, well, what do you think about this? I was uh, talking with him once, and I mentioned a verse to him and just in conversation, and, and the, the translation of the verse that I read was not the version that he would have read, and he scoffs at me, and he says, oh, what version of the Bible is that? And, and starts arguing with me about, and arguing's kind of strong because I didn't give him the time of day this argument that he wanted. I didn't allow it to go on, but but he wanted to argue this, and it's, it's just a waste of time. Arguing with other believers about things in the Bible that you don't agree with them on, it's a waste of time. And if you're going to use your breath for something, use it to share Jesus' love, not argue facts about the Bible. So this takes us to verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So the Samaritan woman at this point brings up the third thing that we can use as an excuse to say inside our comfort zones, and that's religion. And don't get all excited about these three things because they all start with R, and I know that you guys love putting these three R's in the notes, and it's, it's really, it looks really good in your notes, and it's clean cut, and I know there are others that don't start with R's, but for the sake of your notes looking good, I had to give you three that started with R's. So, so religion is the third thing that we can use as an excuse. So this, this woman, she says to him, clearly, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. She acknowledges that, that Jesus is a prophet. She sees that he has some divine ability to see into her life. And, you know, I'm like, hmm, I've had five spouses and the person I'm with right now is not my spouse and this guy doesn't know me just told me that I would probably think he's a prophet too she's very perceptive but but even with that information that she's armed with she still she still argues with him about it about religion well your ancestors worshiped here and we worship here and I just don't think that we so Jesus he didn't let this stop him he didn't let religion get in the way because again religion is a man-made thing and that might throw you off thinking, well, we're here about religion. Well, that's not true. Religion is man's attempt to get to God, but Christianity, true Bible-based Christianity, is God coming to man. So God sent his son Jesus down to build a relationship with us. And, and when Jesus is face-to-face with this opposition, again, he doesn't argue. He diverts back to the Bible. And, and just like what we read in Titus, Jesus doesn't give the lady the time of day with this argument. He doesn't argue with her about scripture and doctrine. We continue in verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, 
A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So Jesus doesn't let these arguments, these setbacks, these imaginary lines get in the way of what he's trying to do. The story goes on to tell us that the woman realizes who Jesus is and, and the life-changing power that he has. So she goes back to the town and she's like, you guys have got to hear about this. This guy, he knew stuff that there's no way he should have known. He is truly a man of God and you need to come experience this life change. So, so I want you to think about that situation. How would it have played out differently if Jesus decided to stay inside his lines, if he decided to stay in his comfort zone? Had Jesus stayed in his comfort zone and he walked around Samaria like most Jews would have done in that day, he wouldn't have had the opportunity to see this woman. If Jesus had stayed inside his comfort zone when the woman brought up that he was a different race, then he would have ended the conversation right there. And again, this woman wouldn't have experienced life change. If Jesus stayed inside his comfort zones when the woman brought up something about reasonable thinking and logic, if Jesus was like, well, I'm not armed to talk to her about this, so I better, I don't have a bucket, she's right, I should just give up. She wouldn't have experienced life change. And finally, when the, the woman brought up religion and started arguing this, if Jesus had given in to that and just said, you're right, I better stop because I'm gonna, I, I, I mean, I need to tell her that I know the Bible. Does she know who I am? I know the Bible better than her and she needs to know. Jesus was probably more equipped than most to argue religious points, but he did not because he knew that it wouldn't bear any fruit. He knew that life change could happen. I, I don't think that, that, that any of that life change could have happened. I think what would have happened is she would have been turned off to the idea of listening to Jesus because his pride got in the way and wanted to show her that he was right. I don't think that the life change would have necessarily occurred that, that did. Not only did that woman have life change, but she brought the entire town back to Jesus and they experienced life change because Jesus was willing to step outside of the lines. So staying inside the lines at times, it can be detrimental to what God wants us to do. And I want to illustrate this in a very simple way with this green spike tape. Now, that wasn't as loud as I was hoping. If it were a bigger roll, you would have heard that really nice sound of the tape. So spike tape is used in theater for blocking and for marking locations on the stage where stuff goes. In a theatrical environment, the set crew prior to the show will take spike tape and they'll mark out sets on the stage where props go. They'll put spots on the stage to show center stage. They'll put spots on the stage that say, you need to step here so your face is in the light. And if you step here, your face gets out of the light. So they use it to mark the stage. And we do it similarly. The band knows nowhere to stand because there's little X's on the stage. We mark where the screen goes and where the podium goes. So today I'm gonna mark where I go. And I go right here inside this little box. And most of you probably can't see this little box and that's okay. You can trust me that it's here. So what you're seeing here with this tape are four little lines. Now, if I choose to stay inside these little lines, it's gonna be kind of difficult for me when I have this whole stage to communicate what I want to communicate. These lines here, I think, are a great representation of the lines that we draw because from where you guys are sitting, most of you probably can't see these lines. 
And those are just like the boundaries that we set up. Other people can't see the boundaries that we have in our heads. Only we can see them. And even though I can see these and think I need to stay inside this comfortable little box or I need to stay over here in this comfortable little box behind the podium with my water and it's all great and dandy, it can be really detrimental to what Jesus wants to do in our lives. So we can find reasons to stay inside the lines. And I know that there are instances in our lives where we find reasons to stay inside the lines. We stay inside the lines because of race and reason and religion. And the enemy uses those excuses along with many, many more to try to keep us inside our lines. In fact, so many of, so many of us are stuck inside our own little bubble that we don't see anything outside of this little box. We don't see anything outside of our lines and we focus inwardly on ourselves. And, and why is that? Why do we focus so much on ourselves? I think part of it is because our lives are so comfortable. We don't really have to think outside of our lines very often. Typically in the United States, in this part of the world that we're in, we have this comfortable little box. And in this instance, it's our comfortable little house and the thermostat is set at 72 and God forbid it get to 73. Does Does anybody else have thermostat wars in their house? Like, I go and, like, flip the therm... I'm going to step out of my box here because I want to be outside of the lines here. So I flip the thermostat to, like, 72 or 73. And then, and then when I go to bed, I'm like, I can deal with the temperature fluctuate. So flip it off. Thermostat's off. And you know what that means? is saving money. So that's a fantastic thing. And I go to bed, and my wife is still up. So when she comes up, I hear the little <laughs> click back on, and I hear the blower spin up, and I'm just like... <sighs> so... The furnace kicks back on. She's running the air to cool the house down so she can sleep. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. It's not worth the argument. Just let it be until um, the next day. And it happens again. And then, and then the best part is in the morning, then she goes down. And I, I love you so much, Taylor. And she flips the heat on because it's cold because the air was on all night. And then an hour later, the heat gets flipped off and the air's back on. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Does, does anybody else have like, you'll, you'll do something with a thermostat and your wife or a child or the dog or someone will adjust it and you're like, what is going on? Why is the house changed? Does that... Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Taylor, I love you. I love you so much. And I love you so much that I think we can let the house be comfortable even though it would save us $3 a month if we changed the temperature one degree. So, happy wife, happy life, happy preacher, happy church. So, cool. That, you guys can write that one down. I won't even charge you for that one. So, it, it, in that moment, my, my focus was on something superficial, something that was really shallow and, and, and just trying to be kind of funny that, that in the U.S., we focus on our comfortable lifestyles. And we focus on this uh, so much that it can be hard for us to see outside of these zones who we are supposed to love. Who are we called to connect with? Who are we supposed to cross the lines for? And... Uh, get outside of our comfort to reach out to. And I have a few examples of people who are called to love, and, and there's many more than this, but these are just some that may affect you and that on occasion affect me. And um, Firstly, today, the guy that cut you off on the way to church and you wanted to give him the bird, but you remembered, okay, I'm going to church. But, or maybe if you didn't get cut off, maybe it's because you were the one cutting someone off. You know what I'm talking about? The guy who's going 54 in the 55, and you're like, really? We know we can go at least 63 without getting pulled over. What are you doing? So... <laughs> My wife is like, 
Amen to that. She's got a little, a little road rage. I don't know where she gets it, probably from her stepdad. I don't know. So uh, I, Rob's not in here, but um, he'll get that on the podcast. So uh, how about this? Grocery store clerks or, or better yet, the person in front of you who has the cart full of food. I mean, they did their shopping for the entire quarter in this one trip, and you have a pack of gum, and they don't let you go in front of them. And then God bless her heart. The clerk who is just so talkative, she's like, oh, this is a great product. Every single, and you're like, they've got 437 items to ring up. And I know you have a quota you have to meet in a certain time. You need to speed it up because I got to get my gum and get out of here. So, so we're supposed to love those people. Uh, how about the, the moms dropping off their kids at school and, and the mom that you perceive just, just has a perfect life. She's the one who gets her makeup on and gets her hair done just to drop the kids off at school. And she doesn't even get out of the minivan. She's got the really nice Honda minivan with the DVD player built in. And then there's you who you can't even find two matching shoes for the kids, yet alone yourself when you're trying to get the kids to school. You're, you're called to love her. How about the preacher who's talking about something that you may not want to hear or is challenging you to do something outside of your comfort zone? Yes, you're called to step out of your comfort zone and love him <laughs> and listen to him and maybe write down some stuff about what he's saying and pay attention and try to get life change. You're called to love him <laughs> and I love you back, so thank you for that. How about this one? This one's gonna mess some of you up. Government employees and government officials. You may not agree with someone's politics and you may not agree with the way they're running the government and you may think, well, we need more morals in Congress we need people in the government who share our values. And while, yes, there is some truth and value to that, thinking that putting Christians in the government would solve all of our problems historically is not true by any stretch. Christianity for millennia has thrived under persecution. So thinking that we have to have someone who shares our values in government, it's, it's not necessarily true. And uh, when there's someone in government who doesn't share our values, we, we can't demonize them and we can't start Bible bashing them because there's something beautiful in diversity and there's power in diversity. And if you have a problem with our officials and our government, if you have a problem with the authority in your life in general, um, if it's the government or your workplace or home or school or wherever, you have a problem with God. Romans tells us that everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. It doesn't say all authority that you agree with or all Republican authority or all Democratic authority. It doesn't say that the people that you like or the people that will give you a raise or the people that let you listen to your iPod while you're in class. It says all authority has been placed by God. And this one affects me sometimes because I'm like, Lord, how can, how can that person be in authority? How did you put that person in authority? But we don't always understand what God's doing. We just know what his word says, and his word says that he has placed all authority and that we must submit to that authority. So those are some basic examples of people we've been called to love, people that we're supposed to step outside of our lines and reach out to. And, and those are all pretty mild. That's, you know, that's stuff we deal with on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. But I want to show a picture to you um, that my wife showed the children last week, and it's, it's pretty heartbreaking. It'll probably stir up some emotions inside of you, and if, if your heart's beating right now, I'd imagine it's gonna get you in some way. It's hard to take in, and it's a picture of a young boy from Samaria sitting in the back of an ambulance. And this is, this is right after a building that he was in was bombed, 
These people didn't do anything wrong. The only thing that they did wrong was being in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were in their home. They were somewhere that they should have been safe. Now I show you this picture because you see this and it's easy to feel compassion for this child and it's easy to get choked up and think that's horrible. How could somebody do that to a child? And it's easy to try to love this child. But I'm not talking about the child in this instance. I'm talking about the people who did this to the child. I'm taking, I'm taking it further outside of the lines of our comfort zones. That, that God's called us to love those people. Or what about this next picture? I bet you that, that most people remember exactly where they were when this happened. They remember exactly what they were doing and how they found out. If you're 25 or older, this happened in your lifetime to a point where you probably can remember it. And you remember exactly the emotions that you felt when this happened. You remember seeing the towers fall one at a time right after another. You remember seeing people jump out of the buildings and you remember, you remember the, the emotions that you felt, probably for some of us, hatred for the people that did this. And the hardest part for me is that Jesus loves the people who caused these horrible, horrible acts. And that's really hard for me to swallow because when I see stuff like that, I think that is the epitome of true evil and hatred. But Jesus would have gone to the cross and taken the punishment that he took if it were just the people that planned this. If they were the only people he had to save, he would have still done it. And it's hard for us to take in, but, but Jesus doesn't look at it like that. He doesn't look at it like acts of sin and terror and horror. He doesn't see the acts as they are. And I'm not saying that it's not wrong because clearly evil was at the core of these things that have happened. But Jesus looks at the heart. He looks at the heart behind them and he sees that it was a broken heart, someone who was lost, someone who needed Jesus. And that's where Jesus and us differ. The acts that we see we look at them and see people. We see race, we see sexual orientation, we see religion and political views, we see financial status or biblical interpretation and so on. But Jesus, he looks at the heart. First Samuel tells us, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And until we can start to see others like God sees others, we cannot love people the way that God has intended for us to love. We need to start looking at the heart of people and not see these man-made things of religious barriers and race and financial status and sexual orientation because God loves every single person, every single soul. Now, I wanted to share some of the wisdom in this book with you guys, and we only have so much time on a weekend, and it's valuable and precious time, so I had to pray that God would give me the words that he wanted me to speak, and I know that this word was from God, and it was for somebody in here, because Friday night, as I was putting the finishing touches on my sermon, I kid you not, I deleted almost the entire thing, and I saved the file, I don't know how it happened because I'm not an idiot when it comes to technology, but somehow I erased every bit of it but the first page and saved the file so there were no backups. And Friday night, I sit there with my face in my palms and I want to swear and I want to throw my computer out the window and 
the words that were coming up inside were not words that a preacher should be wanting to say about a sermon. And I just did not say anything. And my wife's like, it's okay. Uh, it's, I'm going to pray that you'll get it back. And I looked at her and I, probably in a slightly meaner tone than I should have said, I said, it's not coming back. The recovery file is gone. And it's not that I deleted the file. It's that I selected all of the text and hit backspace and hit save and then hit quit in that order. And I don't know how it happened, but that's what happened. So I know that this word was from God because... That should have never happened, but Friday night I rewrote the entire thing and I finished it Saturday morning and it was not any of the stuff I was going to say other than the introduction story. <laughs> so I guess God wanted me to share with you about those homeless people. So I've got a couple copies of this book <clears throat> and I have, I have three of them actually, a little more than a couple, not quite a few. And I want to share this book with some of you. So we've got this series that's going to keep going on, but I want to know, I've got three copies of it, so if you all raise your hand, it's, it's not going to happen. But I want to know who out here, and I need at least three of you to raise your hand, who would like a copy of this book? So all I ask is that you do read this book and that you try to apply it to your life. You're welcome. I have two other copies right here. And Nicole, all I ask is that, that you do read that book, and I, I can't force you to read the whole thing because when I read books, I don't always read the whole thing, but, but get through the bulk of it, take in what God has spoken to that author, and, and know that there's something in there that God can speak to you. And if you want a copy of that book, I, I urge you, uh, Jesus Outside the Lines, author Scott Sauls, go on Amazon and buy it, it's only $9. If you can't afford it, and you do want a copy of it, and you do want to read it, bum it off one of these guys, or... Come up to me after church and let me know and we will order you a copy. And I, there's no judgment there. There's no condemnation. There are times in lives where we all need help and we will help you with that. I do want to get a copy of it in your hands if you're willing to read it and you do want it. So I, I would really urge you guys to read that because it is, uh, it is a fantastic book and, and it definitely has changed my outlook on looking at people and my outlook on what my comfortable life looks like. So... So let's go back to when I was working in Peoria. I told you this neighborhood that I was in was, was not that great. So I'm working in the ghetto. And uh, a homeless man, another man, this, uh, this is the fourth or fifth time now this has happened in this week. This homeless man approaches me and asks me for money. And I, I saw him coming off from away and I, I knew he was probably gonna ask me for something and he asked, do you have a, a dollar or two, sir? And uh, I, I pulled my wallet out, already knowing the answer, because I, I don't carry cash typically. And I, I opened it just to check to see if I had a dollar or two for this guy. And I went into my truck, and I, I opened it, and I'm looking in there, and I don't have anything. And he's like, I just need a dollar or two so I can go get some food. And I'm like, okay, I don't have any money. I'm sorry, but I have a Pop-Tart. I, I offered him Pop-Tart, and he didn't want that. But uh, he, he was asking for money. He said it was for food. And... Uh, and and I would have given it to him if I had it. I truly would have. Um, and I, I know there are, there are times I've talked to people about this, not this specific example, but in general, and, and their response has been, well, don't give him money. He's just going to go buy alcohol and drugs with that. You, you're enabling him. You're actually hurting him by giving him money. You're actually doing more harm than good. Don't, don't give him cash. That's the most ignorant thing you can do. So uh, I wanted to read a small passage from Matthew 25 to you. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and us clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I can't imagine that any of us would want to see Jesus outside hungry or unclothed and, and, and not do anything about it. And he's telling us right here in Matthew that, that by extending a hand to the poor and the needy and the people who are outside of our comfort zones, the people that don't look like us or sound like us or talk like us or act like us or believe what we believe or even want anything to do with us outside of getting a dollar or two to get them a meal, when we extend a hand to them, we're extending a hand to Jesus. So, so later, that, that man left, and, and I, I felt bad because I did want to give him something, but I had nothing to give. And I was at work, so I, I couldn't like drive him around and get him food and whatnot. But a week later, uh, that I was on the other side of the river. I was at East Peoria with my wife. Um, I was off work that morning, so we went to breakfast together at Panera, and we got a bagel and whatever. And and we decided to eat it in the, the vehicle outside of Panera. So we're sitting in our Jeep and we're eating. And a man walks up to my window. And I knew what he was going to ask for. And I rolled down the window and he asked me for some money. And again, I, I looked and I didn't have anything to give him. And I felt bad and I felt God say, you know what you need to do. And I was like, ah, did I just miss an opportunity to show Jesus to this man? The man walked away. He went up to, I saw as we're eating our food, I saw him walk up to another vehicle and knock on the window and I could see the looks on the people like, oh my gosh, leave me alone. Like, like people just don't want anything to do with this guy. And he, he, he's walking around and he eventually circles back to our Jeep and I think he forgot that he had already come to our vehicle because he didn't ask me as if he were asking me again. He asked as if it was for the first time. And, and this time I knew that God was giving me not a second chance, but a third chance because that man was the same man that asked me for a dollar or two the week before. And he asked me exactly the same thing. Sir, do you have a dollar or two so I can get some food? And I rolled down my window and I said, I don't have any cash, I'm sorry, but I will take you inside right now and buy you breakfast if you would like. And his face lit up and he stood back and he was just shocked to see that someone would actually do that for him. And he accepted and and I walked inside with him. I opened the door for him and I asked him his name and he was very polite, very appreciative. And his name was Reese. He told me Reese liked the candy. And I, I bought him food and nothing super spiritual happened. There wasn't like the heavens opened up and the hallelujah chorus started or anything like that. But, but I went up and bought him food and I, I saw him go up to the, the counter to order and the lady asked him what he wanted and and uh, he kind of looked around and I could tell he couldn't read very well. Um, he, he just kind of pointed at the picture and said, that sandwich, that's the one I want. And 
I got him the food, and I asked while we're waiting for the food. I said, Reese, would you, would you mind if I prayed for you? And uh, he's like, yeah, sure. Uh, can we go sit down? So we, we went and sat down at, at, in a booth, and, and I just talked with him for a minute. I said, well, Reese, what's your story? How are you here? Why, what are you doing here? And uh, he told me that he had family who lived in the area, and he moved back. He used to live in Indiana. He, drew, he, he moved back here, and he told me he was living on the streets, so he was homeless, as I had assumed. And he moved back to be closer to his family. And uh, he was just saying how thankful he was that the weather was nice because he said it gets really hard when the weather's bad living outside. And uh, I just talked to them for a few minutes and just listened to his story. And then I, I prayed with him. And it wasn't anything, it wasn't any super special prayer, but it was what God called me to do. It was when God called me to step outside of my box, this little imaginary lines that I set. God said, I want you to step outside that. And I prayed with Reese and and I don't know where he's at now. I assume he's probably in Peoria or East Peoria asking for a couple dollars for food from people. But, but what if I had just taken that opportunity and had the cynical view that a lot of people have had that, well, don't give him a dollar to. He's just going to buy alcohol. Or he's lazy. That's why, that's why he, he doesn't have somewhere to live. He, he could be working and he's, he's, he's just scum. What if I had that attitude? What if I tried to use that reason and, and tried to make myself feel better than him or that I shouldn't have anything to do with him. If I didn't step outside my box, I could have missed that opportunity to share Jesus with this man. And that may be the only time that that man has ever experienced Jesus. I don't know. I hope not. I hope that, that Reese finds Jesus and that his life turns around. I hope that he's able to connect with his family and, and that God can transform his life. But, but the next time that God puts a Reese in your life, the next time that God challenges you to step outside of, of these lines that we draw, these imaginary lines that keep us in our comfort zone, that we feel safe and secure, the next time that God gives you that opportunity, are you going to step out or are you going to stay inside and possibly miss what God has for you? I just ask you that, that next time you see that opportunity, next time you look at a stranger on the street, next time you see someone driving that you don't know and they, they cut you off and you get angry, remember that every one of those people are souls that may be lost that need Jesus and that is why we are here. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Thank you that Jesus set such a perfect example of how we are to share your love with people and how we are to step outside of our lines and love people. How we are not called to be in our comfortable little lines in our, our house inside the Midwest of the United States where life is safe and comfortable, but we are called to love and to share your joy with the entire world. God, thank you for Reese. Thank you for the opportunity that you gave me to share your love with him. Thank you for the blessing that that was to me to be able to share Jesus with one of the least of these, God. Thank you for that opportunity I had to extend my hand to Jesus. Lord, I thank you that, that the people that you wanted here today to hear this word were here, God, and I pray that these words would sink deep into their hearts, God, and that the next time that they need this word, God, that it would come back and, and that it would help people make a decision, God, that wouldn't be stuck inside the confines of these imaginary lines, but God, it would help us step outside the lines and show your love the way that Jesus 
showed his love to that Samaritan woman in the way that he showed his love when he gave his life for everyone in this room, for the people who cause those atrocious acts of terror and violence, for the person who cut you off on the way to church, for the person who seems to have it all together, that Jesus, you died for all of us, and with you, God, there are no lines, there are just souls. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.